Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, March 5th, 2013. And yes, we will be doing our light episode today, although the topic is not light. In fact, I think this is one of the more important lectures from Pastor Lastman. There's a lot of confusion about this topic, especially as a result of crazy books being published by evangelical publishers. I'll give you the details in a second. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to slow down, stop, and open up our Bibles and compare what those uh, popular pastors, preachers, teachers, and authors are saying to what God's Word actually says. Now, we've been working our way through a series of lectures by Pastor Ernie Lastman of Messiah Lutheran Church in Seattle, Washington, on the basics of the Christian faith. We've called it Christianity 101, and we're up to the next lecture today, and we're going to be, well, actually, Pastor Lastman's going to be covering a very important topic, the topic of prayer. Now, there's a lot of confusion out there as a result of some really toxic books on the uh, topic of prayer. In particular, I'm thinking of the books um, Sun Stand Still by Stephen Furtick and uh, Mark Batterson's The Circle Maker, which neither of them actually teach Christian prayer. So today's episode of Fighting for the Faith is a relevant one, if you would, on a topic that seems harmless, but there's some pretty toxic teaching out there, so I'm excited to uh, hear what Pastor Lastman has to say on this. So, without any further ado, here's Pastor Ernie Lastman discussing the important topic of prayer. Here we go. Let's go uh, to prayer. Wonderful subject of prayer. I hope you'll enjoy this. And towards the end, we'll do a little review of the Lord's Prayer, because we say it so often, and I may not tell you a whole bunch that you don't know, but I'm hoping I'll give you a few little insights into the Lord's Prayer that will make it even more, more meaningful for you. Now, let's start out with some, some, some basics here as we look at uh, uh, number, number one there. Uh, we really have a dialogue with God. That's you and me. And here's God. And what I've tried to tell you over several times, how does God communicate to us? How does God uh, uh, come to us? And I've tried to tell you about 
the pipes. Remember, the means of grace. And so he comes to us in his word and baptism and the Lord's Supper. That's how he comes to us. And then how do we come to God in prayer? Well, I mean, come to God. We say faith. That's true. But how do we talk to God? How do we? This is how he talks to us. How do we talk to God? And I'm, we talk to God in prayer. Okay. So under normal circumstances, this is how we carry on a dialogue with God. You know, unless God spoke to you last night in your bedroom, which you want to make sure it wasn't a bad can of chili. Okay. This is the normal way. Now, do we know that he's done other ways? Well, Corey, like to Moses and to the prophets and things like that? Of course, yeah, he can do that. But I wouldn't expect that. Okay. So he can do that and has done that. But under normal circumstances, this is where God speaks to you and me, word and sacraments. Okay, And then we speak to God in prayer. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And this is how we carry on a dialogue with God. Okay, So with that in mind, let's look at number one. The child of God enjoys high privileges, not the least of which is prayer. Well, let's just see what prayer is, and it's not complicated at all. Psalm 79, 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And then Psalm ten seventeen, Lord, thou hast heard the what? The desire of the humble. Now, you might want to use your highlighter or underliner. Obviously, what we're emphasizing are the uh, the bold black words, words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, and in the second Bible passage, the desire. And from this we learn prayer is what? Talking to God. That's all it is. It's not complicated. Either with the heart and the lips, right? Which means out loud. Like I say a prayer out loud before we start the class. I say a prayer out loud before we end the class or as we end the class. Or just talking to God with your heart. You don't have to talk out loud. God knows exactly what you're thinking or feeling, right? So prayer is simply communications with God. Now, God already knows what we're going to say, which shouldn't surprise you because you know God knows what? Everything. Exactly. So prayer isn't for God. Prayer is for us to exercise our our faith. Jot down two passages, and we'll look them up real quick, that God already knows what you're going to pray for. And I know somebody said, well, then why should I pray? Because He wants you to, as I'm going to show you. <laughs> We're like children, aren't we? Okay, the first one is Psalm 139, 1 to 4. And we read, O Lord, You have searched me, and You know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So he knows it even before the word's on his tongue. And then also Matthew 6, 8. Jesus says, Do not be like them. He means the pagans. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So now, none of this should be a surprise to you because we talked about the qualities or traits of God earlier, lesson two, and you know God knows all things. So this shouldn't surprise you that He knows what you're going to pray before you even pray it. So prayer is simply communicating with God. Some people get intimidated because, let's face it, some prayers are very eloquent, aren't they? I sound real, boy, that was awesome. I wish I could pray like that. And sometimes we get intimidated by that. But 
a prayer is a prayer. Whether it's just a heartfelt thing you have in your heart for some loved one or something, you know, for healing or something, or some flowery, elegant, wonderful prayer. It doesn't matter. It's simply communication with God as a child to his or her father. Okay, any comment, question just on that one point, that first point? Prayer is communication with God. Please. I just wanted to say there used to be a billboard downtown. that used to say uh, prayer is asking God for help and meditation is listening to God. <laughs> okay, yes, yes. Yeah, that's fine. Yep. Okay, let's go to uh, number two. And you might want to put an R period, C period to the left of this. Again, that doesn't stand for Royal Crown Coal. It stands for Roman Catholic, just a code word for Roman Catholic. Because what we're going to do here is Roman Catholics pray to Mary and the saints, and we're going to address that issue. Does this mean that we're to pray only to God? That's the key phrase. You might want to circle or highlight it. Only to God. Not Mary, not the saints. Uh, Matthew 4.10, this is Jesus, says, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Now, someone might say, and I can understand why, well, where's prayer in that? Well, prayer is a form of what? Worship. Because if you're praying to God, A, you're acknowledging that He exists, B, that He loves and cares for you, and C, that He has the power to help you. That's worship. Yeah. And so if you're going to worship God, as Jesus says, you've got to worship the only true God, which is the triune God as uh, uh, revealed by Jesus Christ, and pray only to the triune God, because there's only one God. Uh, Psalm 65, 2. O thou who hearest prayer, to thee shall all flesh come. In other words, to thee, in other words, not to some other God, not to some other person, but to, to God. And of course, which commandment are we talking about here? Basic. First commandment, have no other gods before me. Isaiah 46, 7 is closely related to that idea of the first commandment. This is the prophet Isaiah, God speaking to the prophet Isaiah. If anyone cries to an idol, and meaning in the context, prays to an idol, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Why? Because the idol is a fake. There's only one true God. If you're not praying to the one true God, you're wasting your breath. It's a dead thing, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Isaiah says, Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. Thou, O Lord, art our Father. Our Redeemer from of old is thy name. Now, let me explain a few things to help you understand this better. First of all, where it says Israel, see that second word Israel there? That is not referring to the country. In the context, that's referring to a person. Okay? And you might remember, Israel the person, his name before he was given the name Israel was Jacob. That's who we're talking about here. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is Abraham's grandson. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And so the twelve sons of Jacob ended up being the twelve tribes of Israel. So he's talking about two men here, not the country. Abraham and his grandson, Jacob. Okay, and he says what? They don't know us. Why don't they know us? Because Isaiah wrote this uh, 700 years. Let me get my facts straight. I just, I just went brain dead. Uh, let's see. Uh, Abraham, 2000. Uh, 1300 years. Yeah, 1300 years 
This was written 1,300 years after Abraham and Jacob were dead. That's why they don't know. So here's the point. What good is it to pray to Abraham or Jacob? Doesn't do any good. Because why? They're dead and they don't what? They don't know you. They don't see you. They can't answer your prayers. What would be the point of praying to them? And that's why the second part of the Bible passage, he says, after going about Abraham and Israel, he says, but you, O Lord, you are our father. We should be praying to you, not Abraham or Jacob. Okay? And so that's what we also say uh, about uh, the saints and Mary. Mary and the saints are what? Dead. Dead. And they don't know what's going on here. For example, if you think that you can pray to Mary or the saints, that means that Mary and the saints have qualities of God. Because that means they can, they're omnipresent, aren't they? Because if you're doing this here and someone's doing that in Argentina... And Mary and the saints can hear, they are what? Omnipresent. And if you don't speak the words out loud, but you just say it in your brain, that means they're omniscient. No, they're dead. They don't know you. Now, I'm going to read you a funny little thing from Ann Landers that kind of makes the point, I hope, in a humorous way. And you'll see the point, hopefully, as I read this. This is from uh, Ann Landers. I don't have a date on here. I didn't write the date, and I should have. But anyway, it's getting kind of old, but it doesn't matter. It makes the point. Minister can help man who fears deceased mother can see him. Dear Anne, I'm 26 years old and have been married for two years. My husband's mother, a truly lovely person, passed away suddenly. My husband took it very hard. At the end of the funeral service, our Methodist minister, in an effort to comfort my husband, said, quote, I know you were very close to your mother, but be assured, she will be looking down from heaven and be with you always, unquote. At first, I attached no great importance to that comment, but those two sentences have had a tremendous impact on my personal life. My husband now refuses to have any intimate contact with me for fear his mother will see us. <laughs> That's what the pastor said. She'll be looking down on him, right? Even though he's always been a bit uptight about his sexual urges, our sex life was adequate. I don't know how long I can put up with this total abstinence. I know you're not a Methodist, Anne, but since you have many contacts in the religious world, will you please find the answer to these questions? Can anyone in heaven really see us? And if so, does it mean they watch us all the time? <laughs> What can I do about my husband's concept on this matter? Under observation in Illinois. <laughs> Dear Illinois, I suggest you phone the minister and ask him. And that was the best advice she could give. He said it. Let your pastor explain it. If he will please speak to your husband and put him at ease about this matter, then urge your husband to make an appointment with the minister and discuss it. And Anne's doing the right thing. She can't answer this question. I have to go back to the pastor. What did you mean, pastor? What doesn't that mean? Do not try to reason with him. It won't help. It needs to be set straight by the pastor or the minister. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh on this Methodist minister. A Lutheran pastor could have said the same thing. Because sometimes when you're trying to comfort somebody, and that's all this pastor was trying to do, you sometimes say things that aren't exactly what? Exactly theologically correct. That's what this pastor did. He said something to try to comfort this man, and he misspoke, and then he had unintended consequences. Okay? And my point is, if you can pray to Mary, 
And if you can pray the saints, then that's what you have. They see us what? All the time. Not just when you ring their bell to talk to them. You know, see what I mean? They're dead. And that's the point of the Isaiah passage. They don't know us. They don't see us or anything uh, like that. And so not only then are we to pray only to God, because that's the first commandment, but it's useless to pray to these people because they don't hear us or see us anyway. And you're robbing God and Jesus of their honor. So, uh, and as the best of my knowledge, uh, I'm not sure about the Orthodox Church. I think the Orthodox Church may pray to the saints too, but I'm not sure it's exactly right. It's always hard to talk about the Orthodox Church. They have such a small um, influence in, in North America here. But uh, certainly in, among Lutherans and the Protestant world, uh, there's, there's no praying to Mary or the saints. We honor Mary. We honor the saints. That's true. But we don't pray to them. Yes, please. Would that not, if you pray to a saint, would you not assume that a resurrection has taken place for them? Well, yeah, you would, because you have to, because you'd have to assume that they're alive. I mean, they are alive, of course, but I mean, physically in their, in their body and could, and could hear. Yeah. So in other words, I might go to you and say, would you pray for me? That's fine, because what? You're alive. You know, you can hear me. And you say, okay, I will, Pastor. But a dead person is dead. How do I know they hear me? And here's the point. There's certainly nothing in the Bible that says to pray to Mary. Nothing in the Bible says to pray. Nothing. Yeah, I just wanted to say that the only way the Father is to Yeah, exactly. That's right. Let me tell you real quickly, if you want a little bit of church history here, uh, how this all developed with Mary, this Mariolatry, you, you, you look in vain for anything in the early church about praying to Mary. There's nothing about that. It all developed. Remember, I keep telling you, remember, these are just generic figures, so don't take them super literally. But generically, it's between 500 and 1000 AD when what, at least from a Lutheran Protestant standpoint, the abuses or corruptions crept into the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church. And this is when Mariolatry developed. You can look in vain in the early church, first 500 years for praying to Mary or anything like this. This is something that, uh, uh, that developed. How this developed was, as things got going in the Middle Ages, say after 500 beyond, because the church lost the concept of God's grace and forgiveness, and the church became more and more harsh and legalistic, you know, and things like this, like faith in Jesus plus your what? your good works and everything, what happened is Jesus was transformed over the centuries into being the loving, gracious Savior that He is, into being the harsh judge. Because indeed, it is biblical. Who will judge us at the end of the world? Jesus will. But that was kind of twisted to the point that that's all He was. They lost the Savior aspect, and Jesus became predominantly this harsh judge who's going to judge you at the end of the world. Well, that's not a very loving figure, is it? Now, you see where I'm going with this, don't you? So if Jesus is this harsh figure who's going to judge you, they started going to who? His mother, this nurturing figure, and asking, Mary, would you go tell your son? You know, I'm being silly to make a point. That's how that all developed. And then as the centuries went around, it just got more and more and more. So that's right. So it developed from looking at Jesus as a harsh judge rather than the gracious Savior. <laughs> you know, I know the Bible tells us, you know, that we shouldn't listen to two slayers and we shouldn't consult them, you know. Uh, but I mean, uh, you always see them on TV talking about they talking to the dead. Oh, yes. I don't believe it yeah. myself. But I mean, uh, you know, it could very well be true. I yep. don't know. But yep. It's not. Myself. Let me tell you, let me, I'll, I'll let you finish, but let me tell you the, the only options you have with these folks is number one, you only have two options from a biblical standpoint. Number one, it's pure fakery and they're making lots of money. Okay. Number two, something's going on all right here, supernatural, but it's from the wrong side. It's of the devil and demons and things. That's the only two options. Because according to the Bible, it's not real. And if you know your Old Testament, left and right, God condemns and judges seeking out spirits and mediums. 
Yeah, Clarence. Um, I've read in the Bible in three or four different places that like uh, an angel will appear to someone mm -hmm. and the person will fall down and try to worship them. Yes. They say, do not worship. Exactly. Good point. I am the same as you. Exactly. The angels say, no, worship God. And the apostles have done the same thing. Yes, you're right. Yes, because if the apostles, like in the book of Acts, Paul or something, did some sort of miracle, they thought the gods have come down to us and tried to worship Paul. He said, just like he said, no, 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 no. First commandment, you worship God, not us. We're just men. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go, um, let's go to from this we learn, then we'll move on to three. From this we learn, all prayer must be addressed to the tr true God. That's the triune God as revealed in the Bible in Jesus Christ. And be idols, the Virgin Mary and saints, can neither hear us nor help us. Number three, what should move us to pray? In other words, what's the motive for prayer? What's the reason for prayer? And two Bible passages will really sum up everything in prayer in the Bible. Matthew 7, 7, this is Jesus speaking. Ask, and it will be given you. And then Psalm 50, 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver, me, I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Here we learn the four basic components of what motivates people, Christians, to pray. Number uh, The first one, A, God's command. And that's so important. I can't emphasize that to m enough. For example, in Matthew 7, where's the command? Ask! <laughs> and where's the command in Psalm 50? Call upon me! Now, I don't mind looking at this. You can look at it either way. A command or an invitation. Either way. That's fine. An invitation or a command. Uh, that's fine. But now, let me tell you why this is so important. Here's the point. We don't pray just when we want to or when we feel like it. Because what this first point tells us, ask, call upon me. God wants us to do this. Now, let me, the best illustration I think I give, that I can give anyway, if you've ever been a parent, and if you haven't, you can still understand this. If you find out your child had a need or a trouble or something, and they didn't come to you, they didn't go to anybody, they went to somebody else, how do you feel about that? You're hurt. Why didn't you come to us? We would have helped you. Well, that's the way God is. Ask me. Call upon me. And so here's the point. Sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I don't feel like praying for whatever reason. Okay, and But God says, I don't care if you feel like it or not. I want you to pray to me. And so sometimes, I say, you know, i got to pray about it. I don't feel like it. I'm going to pray about it. And here's my point. I force myself. And in about 10 seconds... <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad I forced myself because just by doing now I'm into the prayer and I'm very happy that I did it. So the point is, pray whether you feel like it or not. God wants you to call upon Him in need and time of prayer. Yes, Don. I used to think that you only pray in the morning and the evening. Ah. But nowadays it's like I'm praying all the time. Yeah, you... <laughs> I hear you. I hear, and there's nothing wrong. We're talking about. There's nothing wrong with having set times of prayer, but we just don't do that. We'll have set times, and then in between those set times, we have prayer too, which we'll talk about. Yeah. So the first one is he wants, he commands us, invites us to pray. Okay. The second one is his promise to hear. Well, where did we see that? Well, in Matthew seven, it will be given you. And in Psalm 50, uh, he says, I will deliver you. There's the promises in both those passages, right? So the command to pray, his promise to hear us. Point C, our own need and our fellow man's need. Sometimes I feel guilty that I don't pray enough. There's so many needs in the world, aren't there? Mm -hmm. 
You got your needs. You have the needs of your family, the needs of your loved ones, the, the, the whole needs of the world, people that are suffering. You hear about some tragedy, you know, some poor kid that was raped by a pedophile. You, you can, how can you help not pray at that moment for that, that poor child? There's so many needs. We could be praying all the time, couldn't we? Need, 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 need. And uh, we see that when he says uh, in Psalm 50, call upon me when? In the day of trouble, whether it's your day of trouble or your family's day of trouble or somebody else's day of trouble. And then point D, our gratitude. And um, uh, he says in Psalm 50, and you'll glorify me. Now, I think most of us, and there may be exceptions because I think some people have the gift of prayer. Some are better than others. But as a general rule, I think most of us tend to neglect our thank you prayers to God. We're real good at the gimme prayers. Give me this, give me that. And I'm not against that. That's what he wants us to do. But what I'm trying to say is we have a tendency to forget to thank him. Or sometimes we'll be asking for things that we don't have and fail to thank him for the things we already have because we just take him for what? Granted. Yeah. So prayers of thanksgiving. Sometimes uh, in order to make up for my failings, about giving God thanks. Sometimes when I'm laying in bed at prayer, I'll say exclusively or almost exclusively as I'm laying in bed, nothing but thank you prayers. For the soft bed I'm laying in, the nice pillow, you know, my family, uh, the breakfast I'm going to have in the morning, you know, whatever, just to give thanks for all the good things that I have. And I suggest that to you too, because if you're like me, you're probably a little deficient on the thank you. And every once in a while, just devote your prayers to thank you for whatever you can think of so that we're not quite just taking everything for for granted. So in those two little passages, we have all the things we need, what moves us to pray, God's command, His promise to hear us, boy, all the needs that we have and other people have, and gratitude, giving thanks to God. So those are the things that move us. Any question, comment about that? Okay, number four, how should we pray? Uh, John 16, 23, this is Jesus speaking. If you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Now, that's a promise, isn't it? Now, this is where sometimes the TV preachers uh, misuse this passage. And I'm explaining to you how it's to be properly understood. Say, do you really want that $1 million home, Michael? And the Porsche. Pray for it. And the Porsche. Pray for it. That's what he says, because Jesus says, if you ask the Father for anything, in my name, he'll give it. So you ask for that million dollar home in that Porsche. And so what they often do, if you can see this, this is my credit card. You probably can't see it's got Starbucks on the other side too. <laughs> if I'm going to get into big debt, I'm going to get some credits at Starbucks. I'll tell you that. But how, this is how the TV preachers misunderstand this passage. If you ask anything, if, if you ask the Father for anything, in my name, he'll give it to you. That's not what this passage means. Jesus isn't like a credit card. Now, obviously, there's a kernel of truth to this, in that Jesus answers our prayers not for our sake, but for whose sake? Jesus. But the key is understanding what does he mean in my name? And it means not only having faith in him, it means whatever you ask. Now, listen, I'm going to say this. I'm going to give you one passage. That's all we need to, to justify what I'm saying. When he says pray for anything in my name, he means you pray anything that's in accordance with my word. My will, the revelation that I've given to you. You want wisdom? Ask for it and God will give it to you in my name. You want courage to meet the challenge of the day? Ask for it and God will give it to you. But that doesn't include that million dollar home in the Porsche. There's nothing in there about the Bible about that. 
Okay. Now let me give you the passage, and I'll take any questions you have uh, on this. The passage, and there's others, this just gives you a, a good illustration, is in uh, John 17, 6, 7, and 8. This is the high priestly prayer. Jesus is getting real close to his passion on the cross. And uh, this is where he's praying to his heavenly father for the church. John 17, 6, 7, and 8. Now remember, Jesus is talking to his father about his apostles and the church. He says, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me. Does anybody have a good footnote? Because the NIV actually paraphrases for you. That's not what the Greek says. Anybody have it? I have revealed your name. Anybody have a good footnote? If you have a good footnote, does anybody have that actually in your in your text? You probably don't. Most of you have NIV here. The NIV paraphrases for you. Okay. Okay. I have revealed you, revealed your name to those you have given me. That means the apostles out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me. Do you hear the grace there, by the way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the grace again, right? And they have obeyed what? Your word. Do you see how the word is associated with his name? Let's keep going. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you, for I have given them what? The words you gave me. And when he says the word and the words here, he means I have revealed your name. The name is the revelation he has given For example, when you think of a a name, you just don't think of the name. You kind of think of other things, right? Like when you said Porsche, I got a beautiful picture in my mind. (laughs) I know what you mean by Porsche. Or if you say something like, um, you know, Joseph Stalin. You just don't think of the name Joseph Stalin. You think of all the things what? Associated with Joseph Stalin. Okay? Or whatever. Or, or, or Saddam Hussein or whatever. So you just don't think of the name. You think of the whole concept. That's the way it is with God. It's his revelation. And that's what Jesus means. Anything you ask in accordance with what has been revealed to you, the Father will give it to you. Courage, faith, love, patience, self-control, those kinds of things. Yes? Um, I read in the Bible somewhere that uh, uh, I'm pretty sure what Jesus said that there will be rich and there will be poor. Yes, oh yeah. Well, uh, my, my thought on this is that to ask for earthly things, uh, he, he, he will give them if he wants to give them. And I don't believe that if my asking for a million dollars to win a lottery, no way in the world is going to be. That's that. right. And I'm gonna, if you'll be patient with me, I'm going to come back to that very point. We're going to make a distinction in our prayers. And I'll show you this. When we ask for something that's been clearly revealed in the Bible, Clarence, we don't have to say, if it be your will. Why? Because if it's clearly revealed in the Bible, we know what? It is God's will. So we just ask for it. That's what Jesus is talking about. But if it's something not revealed in the Bible, whether you're going to get a job promotion or not, or get that Porsche, you know, uh, that's, that's not covered in the Bible. As we say, and I'll come back to that point, I promise you. So that's what it means in John 16, 23. Matthew 6, 7. This is Jesus speaking again. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. In your prayers, do not go on babbling like the heathen. Now, here's, here's, here it's helpful. I mean, you can understand the words. But if you read a little background in the ancient world, either in the Old Testament or in the times of Jesus, there was a very common understanding among pagan religions that you had to get the God's attention. 
Okay? And they did that in many ways. In some ways, they just babbled on. You get their attention. Now, in more graphic, violent uh, worship rituals in the ancient pagan world, they would actually mutilate their, their body. Why? Because this would get the gods what? Get the gods' attention. Okay? And then you could ask him something. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says, the Father already knows what you want. He already loves you. You don't have to win him over. Just ask him. That's what he means. Like, don't go babbling on like God doesn't hear you. Or God doesn't love you and you have to win him over. That's, that's the context of that. Like the heathen who imagine the more they say, the more likely they are to be heard. Uh, next page, James 1, 6 and 7. He says, you must believe, and by the way, the context here, uh, the context is often important. The context, you can check it out on your own later. But the context is asking for wisdom. Asking for wisdom is the context. Okay. So you must believe when you pray for wisdom and not doubt at all. For whoever doubts is like a wave in the sea that's driven by the wind. Any such person must not think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. So this is something, Clarence, where something has been promised. Wisdom, ask for it and he'll give it to you. But, but you don't go, you don't say something like, um, you don't pray. Uh, well, have you prayed, uh, prayed for wisdom? Gee, no, I haven't. Well, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> in other words, that should be the what? First thing you think, well, it can't hurt. That's not the right attitude, is it, right? Okay. So that's what he's talking about there. Um, so when something has been pro- for example, let me use a different illustration, maybe help you. Uh, you ask for forgiveness in prayer. Please forgive me. <laughs> Not to believe that he forgives you is what? Is to doubt him and to call him a what? A liar. That's what, that's what James is getting at. 1 John 5, 14, and here we're getting close to Clarence's point. This is the confidence we have in Christ. What is that confidence? That if we ask anything, what? According to His will. And that would be the same at the bottom of page 56 in John 16, 23. Anything in what? My name, according to my revelation and word. What does He say? He will hear us. He will hear us. And uh, so if it's revealed there, uh, we'll, we'll do it. So for example, we pray for healing. But if you haven't figured this out yet, you're finally going to die of something. (laughs) Right? And that's in God's hands. And so, yes, even for healing, despite what you may hear from TV preachers, we do ask for healing. But always what? According to your gracious will. Because God loves this person more than you do. So we say, because it doesn't say if you're going to be healed this particular time, right? Because there's going to come one time, you're not going to be healed. You're going to die. So even for healing, we pray fervently for healing, and I always say, but your will be done. Or you, you're up for a job promotion at work. That's not in the Bible. So you say, dear Father, as far as I can tell, this would be good for me and my family, and I pray that I get this job promotion, da-da-da-da-da-da. But maybe according to God's will, maybe somebody else needs that job even more than you do. Or maybe God knows this is going to put you in a circle of friends that you shouldn't be around. And it'll affect you spiritually or whatever. And he's not going to give you that job promotion for that reason. So even for the job promotion, you pray for the job promotion, but because it's not revealed in the Bible, whether you're going to get it or not, you say, according to your gracious will. Yes? I mean, if I ask God to give me a new home, okay, you know, nice, big, beautiful home, you know, I don't think about what comes with that home. I have to... You have to pay mortgage, you have to be able to pay the light bill, you know, 
everything. So mow the yard. Something that I, I, I can't take care. Of. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. See, we don't. A lot of times we don't think about. We we want it. Yeah. But yet we don't think about the consequences. Exactly. Good point. And because, yeah, thank you. I, I was going to say that. See, that's a good point. Because we sometimes think we know what's best for us, right? And then after the fact, we figured out we, didn't, we weren't so smart after all, right? And God already knew that. And in a way, compared to God, we are like little children, aren't we? And little children, if you'll offer them candy, how often will they take it? Every time. Or a little child might want to play with a kitchen knife. Say, no, no, you can't play with that. And they may be upset. You see what I mean? But just like we as parents know better than a small child, candy will rot your teeth out and the knife may hurt you, God knows that about us in other ways too, which we're going to get to. Yeah. Yes, please. Um, I'd like to comment on um, the problem of going back to not knowing what you want to pray for. Yeah. And, and specifically, you can relate it to um, illness. If you have somebody who's terribly ill, yes. And you can pray for wisdom, and yep. you still can't discern anything. Should you pray for healing, a great death? Um, it all depends on the circumstances. Yeah, it all depends on the circumstances. I mean, you know, if somebody's 96 years old and they have severe cancer, probably a good death is okay. <laughs> you know, but if someone's a 15 year old teenager, you know, and, and it all depends, I'm speaking generically, of course, here. But if you really don't have any, should you just. Say whatever you choose. Yes. Yes, you can. For example, I I don't know what you're getting at, but this is one scenario. You might say, Dear Father, this 15 year old nephew of mine has cancer. It's very serious. Dear Father, if it's according to your gracious will, we ask for your mercy to spare us grief. And let's say he's a Christian, though, they'd go to heaven if he dies. Spare us grief and, and heal this young man. However, we know you love this child more than we do. You created this child in the womb of his mother. You sent your dear son to die for him. He's been baptized in your name. You love him more. And your gracious will be done. And give us the strength and the power to accept whatever will that may be. Because God loves him more than we do. So how are you going to go wrong? So you don't have to really choose an absolute No. You can say what you want. There's nothing wrong with that. But because it's not in the Bible, you find it to come back and say, however, you know better than we do, Father. So your will, this is what we're asking for. And if it's your will, we grant it to us. If for some reason it's not, we don't know why, give us the strength to accept that too. Yes? Uh, well, it's like I told you earlier one time, uh, I, I prayed for knowledge, and it came true. What a shock. <laughs> yeah. And see, that's revealed in you. Because God, that, that's not according. We know in the Bible, He wants you to have knowledge, among other things. And He says, I'll give it to you. Ask me, I'll give you. Because that's right in the Bible. You want more love? Ask for it. He'll give you more love. You want wisdom? He'll give it to you. Yeah. But it's always the patience one that I'm always leery for, you know, because <laughs> He may teach you patience in ways you don't want. I'm being kind of silly just to make a point. But you're right, Clarence, exactly. And you didn't have to say, Dear Father, give me knowledge if it's according to your will. Because that's in the Bible to give you knowledge. Pardon me? And then you showed up. Oh, I see what you mean. (laughs) In other words, perhaps you're saying God answered your prayer with this class, maybe. Okay, I hear you. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. I hear you, Clarence. Thank you. Oh, I thought that you really did pray for patience. (laughs) Well, I I do pray for patience. I'm just kind of being uh, funny about it. 
All right, we're going to pause right there and pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this episode or any previous episodes of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. We come back to the balance of today's lecture by Pastor Ernie Lastman on the topic of prayer. Stay tuned. We will be right back. Relevance Schmelevance. We preach Christ crucified for our sins. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. Doesn't it bother you how some Christians are quick to argue about theology? Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Wait a minute. Did you catch the double standard in that statement? What double standard? You just said that Jesus didn't die for correct theology. Yeah, so what? Do you believe that statement is accurate? Of course I do. So if you think that statement is accurate, would it be safe to say that you think that statement is correct? Of course I think it's correct, that goes without saying. If I think the statement is accurate I obviously think it's correct. I wouldn't have made the statement if I didn't think it was accurate or correct. Did you notice that your statement was making a theological point? Well, yes, I suppose it was. So let me see if I've correctly understood the statement you made. Okay. You said it bothers you how some Christians are quick to argue theology. Yes, that's what I said. It sounds like you're saying that it bothers you that some Christians argue theology in order to prove that something that you believe or have been taught is not correct? Well, um, yes, I guess that's what I was saying. But then you made a theological argument to try to prove that Christians shouldn't argue theology. Well, um, yes. So, on the one hand you say that it bothers you that Christians argue theology in order to prove your theology wrong but then on the other hand, you turned right around and employed a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong, that's cheating, you can't use a theological argument in order to prove that arguing theology is wrong, that's like using logic to prove that logical argumentation is wrong or using a mathematical equation to prove that using math is wrong. I knew it. Knew what? You're one of those people. What do you mean by those people? You're one of those people who loves theology more than people. What on earth are you talking about? You're a close-minded blogger who lives in her mother's basement and spends every day in her pajamas on a beanbag typing away on a laptop while eating cheetahs and drinking Mountain Dew.
No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean metachlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your church, especially if they're teaching you to pray sun, stand, sill prayers and circle maker prayers rather than actual biblical Christian prayers. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95. That's it, $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It is a great way to support us. And, of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Okay, here is the balance of today's lecture by Pastor Ernie Lastman on the topic of prayer. Here we go. Okay. Um... Top of the page still, the last passage there, Luke twenty two forty two. This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you don't recognize the setting. Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but thine be done. So even in the Garden of Gethsemane, in his great anguish, where Luke tells us that uh, sweat dropped from his brow as great drops of blood, he knew what was going to happen. This He was not only going to face the horrific physical act of crucifixion, but he would carry the sins of the world that would cause the sinless Son of God to cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But his God's will be done. So from all these passages, this is what we learn. We should pray. In the name of Jesus, only through Jesus can we approach God. Only for Jesus' sake to receive anything from God. And I also want to add according to the revelation he's given to us. 
Point B, we should pray thoughtfully and sincerely. A mechanical recitation is displeasing to God. That's bottom of page 56 about babbling. I don't know about you, but sometimes prayers in general, even the Lord's Prayer, I might be saying them at night, and I, I realize what? I'm just saying the words and not really what? Thinking about them. So sometimes I have to start the Lord's Prayer more than once. You know? <laughs> You know, see what I mean? Because we're all set. We can all do that. You get in the head, you just wrote memory, you know, whatever. And so we need to be aware of that as well. Uh, point C, pray confidently, believing that God will hear us with the things that he has promised us. If we expect nothing, we receive nothing. Now, remember, we mean not for the Porsche, but for the things he's promised. Knowledge, wisdom, love, all those things. Forgiveness. Point D, pray in accordance with God's will. And here's uh, the point we've been making. Gifts which God has promised in the Scriptures, necessities for our souls, such as forgiveness of sins, we should ask for without condition. However, the granting of gifts, which God did not expressly promise us, things for our body, health, prosperity, etc., we should leave to God's wisdom and add, if it is your will, your will be done. Okay, any other comment or question on that one before we go to uh, point five? Anything we missed there you want to go over again? or Okay, number five. Does God really answer every true prayer? And what we're going to find out here is God has three answers. Yes, no, and wait. For example, the first one, 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. This is the great Apostle Paul writing, Three times I prayed to the Lord about this and asked Him to take it away. And his answer was, my grace is all you need, for my power is strongest when you are weak. And if you didn't pick up on that, the answer was no. Now let me talk just a little bit about this. We don't know precisely what this was. In the context here, maybe some of you have heard the phrase, a thorn in the side. That comes from the Bible. That's right from the Bible. And it's Paul who uses it. And right in this context here, he's talking about a thorn in his flesh or a thorn in his side. We don't know exactly what it was. Here's some educated guesses based upon what we do know in the Bible. Number one could be that he had just, generally speaking, very poor health and a very weak, uh, frail system. Because it's very clear when he came to the Galatians, it gives the appearance when he came to them, he had like had malaria or something, and yet they received him in. You know, So maybe malaria, something like that. The other possibility is that he had really, really bad eyesight, based upon what? Well, remember when he was converted on the road to Damascus, he was blinded? And when he got his sight, it was, he says it's as if what? As if scales fell from his eyes. And then coupled with that, in one or two at the end of his letters, he signs the letters personally in the original document. And he says, see with what big letters I write. <laughs> so we're not sure what, and it really doesn't matter. Those are a couple of educated guesses. Anyway, whatever this was, Paul asked three times for it to be taken away. And basically Jesus said, no. Well, why not? Because my grace is sufficient for you. And to kind of paraphrase that, it gets back to your point, you know, sometimes. Because he might say, I'm not going to take it away. Well, why not? Because I'm going to make you a stronger Christian through this. I'm going to increase your patience. I'm going to give you more courage and hope because of what you're going to have to endure here. Because by this, you're going to have to learn to lean on me. And that's sometimes why God says no. You know, I mean, and we're like children, because I don't know about you, but when I pray for something, you know what answer I want every time? Yes. <laughs> and right now would be fine. But God treats us like a loving parent too, and sometimes He's going to say no for our own good to develop our character. How I usually say this, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but when we pray, if God, in answer of our prayers, 
has to make a choice between our comfort, comfort and our character. And he doesn't always have to do that, I realize that. But if he has to make a choice between our comfort and our character, you already know which one he's going to choose, don't you? He's going to choose our character, even if it's a, through discomfort, okay, to make us a stronger Christian. I mean, what good is faith if everything's easy and good? And you know, It's real easy to have faith when everything's going hunky-dory. It's when things aren't so hunky-dory that calls for a lot of faith. Hunky dory. I don't know. Where I, I don't know if everybody understands. <laughs> I come up with some weird sayings sometimes. I all my travels in the world. You probably understood that. Um, so that's what happened here. So the answer was no. The answer was no. Now John two four. I don't know if this is the uh, best illustration or not, but it's uh, it's okay. I'll use it. Uh, John two four. My hour has not yet come. Now the context here. Here this is Jesus speaking. He's speaking to his mother, and it's a wedding. It's a, at the wedding of Cana. And you remember, they ran out of wine at the wedding of Cana. And Mary, being a good Jewish mom, comes to her son and says, uh, Jesus, they've run out of wine. <laughs> yes, mother. <laughs> there is some humor in there when you look at it. And um, basically, you know, he's, she's hinting and he says, Mom, it's my ministry. I'll be on my regular time schedule. Don't worry about it. My hour has not yet come. Of course, shortly thereafter... He changes the water into wine. And um, basically what we learn, you'll see from this, we learn it says at his own time. At his, in his own time. And that's true, right? Uh, here's here's, the, here's the, uh, the overall statement on God's answering a prayer. He can say yes, which those are the ones we like. He can say no. And he can say wait, which means it's going to turn into a what? It's going to turn into a yes, but not Immediately. Our dilemma from our human perspective is sometimes we may have a hard time distinguishing between a wait that's going to turn into a yes and a no. Now, there may be sometimes it's clear, like if we pray for somebody and they die, that's not a wait, is it? Yeah, they're not going to live. But there may be other situations. Let me give you an illustration. There was a lady here that was a member of our church, and she was probably in her 70s. Um, this is in the early 90s. And she prayed for her son for over 30 years to become a Christian. 30 years. She just didn't give up. And six months before she died, and she died at hospice up at, North, uh, at Northwest Hospital, six months before she died, uh, he became a Christian. But after what? 30 years of praying. She just didn't give up. That was a wait, wasn't it? Yeah. So that's the way it is. We know a yes. And we know a no, but sometimes when the wait, we're not sure what's going on here. And that's where the faith comes in again. Okay, any comment question just on point five? Okay, number six. What other directives does God give us for our prayer life? First uh, Timothy 2.1, pray for all people. Boy, that's sometimes hard. After that, would you write this Bible passage? Matthew 5.44, Matthew 5.44. And then after you write Matthew 5.44, write in parentheses, enemies. This is the tough part. We're to pray for all people. Um, all, that can be a challenge sometimes, can it? God loves how many people? All people. Jesus died for how many people? All people. Uh, Romans chapter 5, Paul says that God died for the ungodly. So um, I, I'm not saying it's easy, <laughs> but this is what we're supposed to do, pray for even our enemies. So if there's somebody at work or a neighbor that just gets under your skin, 
you know, and I'm sure we all have people like that in our lives. And, and truth be told, we probably get under the skin of other people too, don't we? Yeah, we irritate them. But we need to keep sort of our flesh in check by this power of the Spirit and whatever we feel that we need to pray for those people. Pray for their conversion, pray for reconciliation, whatever would be appropriate. Because love always has the best interest of the other person at heart. So for this enemy, what's in their best interest that you can pray for? And it may be a change in their character. That could be true. Or they'd be brought to faith in Jesus or whatever. Yeah. That's really praying for God's will. That's praying God's will. That's right. That's right. Okay, uh, 1 Timothy 2.8, I want the men to pray everywhere. What I'm emphasizing here is the black bold words are everywhere. Isn't it wonderful that you don't have to run down to the church every time you want to pray? Wouldn't that be horrible? No, you can pray, you can pray in your car, right? Um, it just, it's, I mean, it's literally you can pray everywhere. And then see, uh, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. Now what that means is, is that our whole life is a life of prayer. It doesn't mean we're on our knees all day long. But kind of like what Don said a little while ago, we really have two kinds of prayers. We have four, I'll put an H up here for habit. Certain times we habitually pray. You get up in the morning and eat breakfast and you pray. That's out of habit. At, at lunchtime, maybe you thank God for your lunch. And, and at meal, evening meal, you, another, it's a habit. You pray for your eating meal. Before you go to bed, you say another prayer uh, before you get it. That's your habit. But what about the times in between? Well, what this prayer is saying is you're, you're sort of in touch with God. What? All day long. And that would be represented rather like sort of like these dots. Just all day long. Uh, you think about something. You think about a grandma or a grandpa or an uncle or a niece or a nephew or a next-door neighbor, and just a, a quick prayer goes up for this person. Or you think somebody doesn't have faith in Jesus or doesn't have a church, and a little prayer goes up. Or, or what I do often, I'm sure I'm not the only one, an ambulance goes by. I always try to say a little prayer. I don't know the people, but wherever that ambulance going, be with them, Lord, and may your gracious will be done. So in addition to our set prayers, okay, and of course, Sunday morning, that's a set prayer, isn't it? But in between, we're just sort of in touch with our Heavenly Father all day long, off and on. That's what that means. So let's do from this we learn, then we'll take your comments. From this we learn, we're to pray for ourselves, our loved ones, the poor, the sick, the lonely, our president, pastors, missionaries, all people. B, in the quiet of our room, in the family circle, at church, at school, at work, at play, in cars, and especially planes. <laughs> the, only, the only time I really think about prayer is takeoff and landings. You know, the safest time is when you're up in the air. It's the takeoff and landings. That's when you. But they really have a good record, so I'm just being silly again. But we pray all the time, off and on. A point C, the first thing in the morning, last thing at night, at mealtimes, the hour of trial and danger, joy, sorrow, pain, death. Pray just off and on continually. Ours should be a life of prayer. Our desires ever straining Godward, our hearts in constant and close contact with our Heavenly Father. Okay, any comment, question at this point? Please. Um. I, I feel like I'm, I'm praying more for the blessings that have been given than I am for the other people. Okay. 
Well, you know, uh, I certainly don't have a perfect prayer life. I don't know any of us that do. And, you know, all of us could probably critique our prayers. You know, I could do better here or I could do better there. That's kind of what I was critiquing about my, probably my thank you prayers aren't as many as they should be. So I think we could all do that, Clarence. Look at our prayer life and find deficiencies. And we just try to grow in our prayer life just like in everything else. You know, we're not a, we're not a complete product as Christians. Uh, Paul says that we start out spiritually like little babies. And then we grow more mature as the years go by. And no doubt that reflected in our prayer life too. That the more mature we get, our prayer life gets a little more uh, mature wise too. Okay, let's go uh, talk a little bit about the Lord's Prayer. Number seven, next page. We kind of put Matthew and Luke. Those two references, Matthew 6 and Luke 11, are the two references for the Lord's Prayer. It says, when you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, power, and glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now we're going to look at every one of those parts. Uh, first of all, we were talking about this before we got the class going. You know, that's good King James language, and it's amazing, the staying power of the Lord's Prayer, the King James Version. You know, we changed all modern... English, our whole liturgy is in modern English, but we get to the Lord's Prayer, it's like, don't you change that. <laughs> and I think there's many reasons for that, and I, I don't think it'll probably ever be changed for a long time. Although there are modern English versions of the Lord's Prayer out there, and sometimes in liturgies and hymn books, they'll be side by side, and probably more times than not, the congregation chooses the King James Version. But it's really a mute point, it doesn't matter. It's, I'm not saying you have to have the King James Version. I'm just pointing out there seems to be a natural affection and affinity for the King James language in the Lord's Prayer, despite the fact that all of our other language is more modern. Well, let's look at the Lord's Prayer. A brief explanation of the Lord's Prayer. First of all, the Lord's Prayer consists of three parts. You might want to put these in parentheses or highlight them or something. First of all, there's an introduction, which we're going to look at. The introduction. The second component are the seven petitions. And a petition is simply a request. And then the last component is the conclusion. That's the three-part structure of the Lord's Prayer. So let's look at this. First it says, Our Father who art in heaven. If you're into marking up your booklet to the left-hand margin of that, you might just want to put intro or introduction because this is the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. Uh, and several things I want to bring to your attention here. First of all, I want to bring to your attention the plural pronoun, our. It doesn't say, my Father, who art in heaven. And this goes back to what we did on Lesson 12 on the church, and what I've tried to illustrate in other places as well, that we have the idea, you know, we're not Lone Ranger Christians. It's just not me and God or me and Jesus. No, the moment you believe in Jesus, you enter into His the family of God, the body of Christ. And so you see this plurality here. And this implies two things with the plural pronoun. Number one, it means we're praying with other Christians. We're gathering together to pray with other Christians, the body of Christ, worship, liturgy. And the other implication is we're praying for others as well, our Father. Uh, so it's not just my Father. Now with the word Father, is supposed to be communicated the idea of love and security. We know that human fathers often fail to one degree or another, but not the heavenly father. So with the idea of father is to communicate the idea that if he's the father, what are we? His children. And so just as a small child goes to a loving father, 
you know, for requests and prayers. That's what we're to do with God. That's what Jesus teaches us. So the idea of Father basically attracts us to God. You know, you wouldn't want to go to a stern dictator for prayer, would you? No. But if you have a loving, gracious Father, that kind of what? Pulls you to Him. Well, let's go ask Daddy. Let's go ask the Father. Okay? Because He loves us. So that's what's communicated with the word Father. With the phrase, who art in heaven, that communicates his power. Because heaven here, remember in the Bible, heaven can mean one of three things on the context. The firmament around the planet Earth, which we call the atmosphere, okay, the sky. Okay? The vast universe, or the dwelling of God, which is everywhere. Heaven here is the dwelling of God, which is everywhere. And so the phrase, who art in heaven, emphasizes his power. Well, here's the point. Father communicates his love. Why would you go to a God if he didn't love you? Who art in heaven emphasizes his power. Why go to a loving father if he's impotent, if he can't help you? Well, I can't help you, son. I'm sorry. I guess you're on your own. So with those two phrases, we have every reason to come to God. We know he loves us. He's the father. We're his children. He's in heaven. He's all powerful. He can help us if it's according to his will. And that's why we pray. So you see in the introduction, then he draws us in as a body, as his family, to pray to him. All right, any comment, question, just on the introduction? Okay, the next one, hallowed be thy name. You can put a one to the left of that. This is the first petition. Hallowed be thy name. The, the modern English would be, may your name be holy. May your name be holy. Now, let me explain this. God's name is holy regardless of what we do. We're not making God's name holy. His name is holy. Well, then what are we praying for? We're praying that God's name, now listen how I say this, will be holy among us. That we will treat God's name, which is holy, will treat His name holy among us. Well, what does that mean? Two things according to the Bible. How do you treat God's name holy? Number one, by preaching and teaching and believing only what He says. In other words, here's where you hear me back. I say several times in this class, true doctrine is important. False doctrine dishonors the name of God. To say that God says something and he doesn't is to misrepresent God. And that is not to treat his name as holy if you're misrepresenting what he says. So when you're praying, hallowed be thy name, you're praying for right doctrine. And that these horrible divisions among Christians, where some Christians teach this and some Christians, Christians teach that, that'll be overcome by God's grace. Because that is not hallowing God's name when Christians preach and teach different stuff. So doctrine. The other way we hallow God's name among ourselves is by how we live. Now years ago, and he's repented, so I'm not holding it against him. I'm not going to go into it big time. But years ago, you might remember Jimmy Swaggart, got caught, caught not once, but twice with... Now, what did that do to God's name? Not good stuff, right? Because all the non-believers in the world... Yeah, why should I believe in your God? Right? Now, I'm not trying to be hard on Jimmy Swagger. He's repented and so forth and so on. And I can, I'm sinful too and other things. But who, who do Christians represent? God. And the only God that non-Christians see is us. So, hallowed be thy name includes right doctrine, but also Christian 
living, and that includes also, because this is a witness to the non-Christian, that if we sin, we repent and seek what? God's forgiveness. And now listen carefully how I say that. That's also hallowing God's name, isn't it? Why? Because that's what God tells us to do when we sin. What do we do? We repent and seek His forgiveness. And that's a witness to the unbeliever too about our gracious, loving God. So I'm not saying that we're all perfect. We're not. But that when we sin, we say, you know what? I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. I've sought God's forgiveness. Please forgive me. That's hallowing God's name. So doctrine and living is how we hallow God's name among ourselves. That's what you're praying for. Okay, a two out to the left of thy kingdom come. Here we're praying for basically two things in this petition. Number one, we are praying that more and more people every day, day after day, year after year, till Jesus comes back, will come into God's kingdom. And what's the only way to come into God's kingdom? Faith in Jesus. So what you're praying for here, whether you knew it or not, you're praying for evangelism. You're praying for missions. Let his kingdom come to the world and people be brought in. And secondly, you're praying for the return of Jesus at the end of the world. Your kingdom come. Because now we enter the kingdom of God by faith on the day of the resurrection, which I'll show you next week in lesson 14. On the day of the resurrection, we'll enter the kingdom of God by sight. But it's the same kingdom, right? Same. So that's what you're praying for. Missions and evangelism and the return of Jesus at the end of the world because it's the same kingdom. Uh, number three, thy will be done. Okay? Uh, which we have right in the Lord's Prayer. Now, uh, that too, uh, it's very closely related to hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done means in doctrine, and also Christian living. Okay. For example, this Christian, the Messiah Lutheran Church. If I say, dear Lord, I want your will done here at Messiah Lutheran Church, obviously that's going to include doctrine and sanctification or, or living. That, that covers all he says. So hallowed be thy name and thy will be done are intimately connected. Put a four to the left of, give us this day our daily bread. A couple of things. Excuse me. A couple of things here. First of all, when he says daily bread, he doesn't simply mean a loaf of bread. When he prays, pray for daily bread, he says, give us what we need for our, our physical sustenance, nourishment, and physical existence. So that would include such things as not only food, proper food, proper drink, Clothing, a shelter of some kind, good weather, good government, everything necessary for our physical existence. Now, because that, that word bread stands for all of our physical blessings. What's interesting here, we're not done, but there's going to be a total of seven petitions. The fourth petition is the only one out of the seven that talks about our physical needs. Now, the reason I'm saying that is not only to bring that to your attention, but again, if you're like me in prayer, I have a tendency to want to dwell on what? My physical needs. And I'm not, that's not wrong. Or even praying for a healing is a physical need, isn't it? So that's not wrong. But I think what Jesus is saying is, yes, ask for your physical needs. That's why I included in the Lord's Prayer. But keep all your prayers in their proper what? Perspective. 
Because really what's more important are all these other things, these spiritual needs I'm telling you about. Because your physical needs one day will come to an end. But on the day of the resurrection, your spiritual needs will continue into uh, eternity. Or the, or the consequences of your spiritual needs will go into eternity. Now the other thing I can say here, give us this day our daily uh, when he says daily, what he's trying to show here, and boy, this is tough in our affluent society, really tough. He's trying to show us the word daily to be content with what we have. Because in the ancient world, even in Jesus' day, uh, unless you were filthy rich, the average person literally lived what? Day to day. You got your denarius at the end of the day. That was the day's pay, a denarius. You bought your groceries, and the next day... You start it all over again. I'm being a little bit simple, but that's basically true. And so Jesus wants us to be content. I will take care of you. I will provide for your daily. Don't get greedy. Don't do this. Don't do that. I will take care of you. Let me give you an illustration. Uh, I don't think I have it written down here for you. But in uh, Matthew chapter 6, and you may know this, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, Seek first the kingdom of heaven or God, and all these other things will be added to you. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. The pagans run after all these things. And what he's saying is, they get all their meaning and purpose from life from their stuff. Don't do that. I know you need stuff. And I'll give you your stuff. But get your priorities right. Seek first my kingdom and I'll take care of you. Because if you don't do that, you're going to get your spiritual life all out of kilter. And you'll get it all wrong. So that's why it's all in. Give us this day, our daily bread. One petition out of seven about our physical needs. Okay, number five. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Oh, boy. Well, the, we like the first part. Forgive us our trespasses. It's sometimes the other part that's difficult, isn't it? as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, don't misunderstand here. Sometimes people get the wrong idea. We do not earn God's forgiveness because we forgive people. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you will forgive people if you really believe that you are forgiven. If you do not forgive somebody, it's because you don't understand how much you need forgiveness. Now, let me give you a real quick illustration. Jesus once told a parable, and some of you are going to recognize my modernization of it. But a king had a servant, and the servant owed him a million dollars, you know, in debt and, the, and all these things. And uh, the king said, you know, it's time to pay up, you know. The guy came and said, you know what, I'm in debt up to my earlobes, and I can't pay you back. But, well, you're going to debtor's prison then. And the guy threw himself on the king's mercy, and the king said, okay, all right, I know you got, you got children. Okay, I forgive you, I'll just erase the debt. You, I forgive you your million-dollar debt. That servant goes out and finds another servant who owed him $100. He says, pay me $100. You owe me the $100. I'm sorry. I've had some real tough times. I don't have $100. I can't pay you. And he choked him and threw him into prison and said, you're not getting out of there until you pay me that $100. The other servants in the palace saw what happened. And they went and told the king, you know that servant that you forgave a million-dollar debt, you know, Right after you forgave him that million dollar debt, he went out, found somebody to owe him a hundred bucks, choked him and threw him in prison until he got the hundred bucks back. What? And he brought the guy back and he ends up, I'm not going to forgive you, you're going now. And that's where Jesus says, I tell you, 
Unless you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. And here's the point. Here's the point. So you don't miss it. And I realize this is often head versus heart, which I'll get back to. Here's the point. And, and you, you may not like this. I don't like it. What Jesus is telling us, the whole Bible tells us, whatever someone does against us is not as bad as what we have done against Fill in the blank. Now, you'll either believe that or not. You'll either accept that or not. you either like it or not. That's what the Bible teaches. And the point is this. God basically says, if I, God, can forgive you your sins, completely, unconditional, no strings attached, I expect you to forgive other people who sin against you. Because compared to what you've done against me, it's nothing compared to what they've done against you. Now, I know I, you can come up with lots of illustrations. I know them all. But that's what the Bible says. And uh, so, that, that's the point. Now, I know that's often easier said than done. As a matter of fact, my personal opinion is, I don't know if it's the hardest thing to do in life. If it's not the hardest thing to do in life, it's certainly one of the hardest things to do in life. And watch that. Forgive somebody who has profoundly and deeply hurt us. I don't know if there's too many things more difficult than that. It's real easy to forgive somebody when it's what? Small. You know, you step on my foot. Oh, excuse me, Pat. Oh, that's okay. I'll, I'll polish it. Yeah. Well, I think there might be one thing a little bit harder, and that's to carry that, that hatred. Well, yeah, that's true. That's why, you know, I, I don't want to say it's the number one, but what, if it's number one, two, or three, it's right up there. It's easy to forgive when they're small sins. But somebody really hurts you, you know? It's tough. And this is where we need God's grace and spirit. Now, let me give my spiel on this so you'd get it. Because it kind of ties in with the Lord's Supper we talked about a little bit. I think we did. There's nothing wrong with struggling with forgiveness. That's okay. Who doesn't struggle at times with forgiving? As long as what? I'm supposed to forgive this person. I want to forgive this person. And I'm asking God for the strength and power to forgive this person. That's okay. That's a struggle. We all understand that. That's okay. What's not okay is to have an attitude that says, I'm not forgiving this person. Forget it. I don't care what God says. I don't care what anybody says. I'm not forgiving them. That's not a good sign. You hear the difference? It's okay to struggle with forgiveness. We all may struggle to forgive. But that's different from just simply shutting the book and saying, I'm not doing it. I don't care what God says. That's when we get into trouble. Let, let me also explain forgiveness because that's, that's a slippery term too. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean Warm fuzzies. How does someone who's been abused as a child sexually have warm fuzzies about their abuser? To forgive means that you do not hold this against them. That if you went out and they were, they were ran over a car, by a car, okay, instead of spitting on them and kicking them, you'd call 911 to get them help. Because love is shown in action. When he says, love your enemy, he doesn't mean necessarily have warm fuzzies. Because, and he explains it. If your enemy is hungry, that doesn't mean have warm fuzzies, but you feed him. Your enemy is thirsty, you give him some. So, it's, we're not taught, so when we talk about forgiveness, don't automatically think warm fuzzies or that you have to accept what was done. What was done was probably was wrong. but that you have the attitude of what's in the best interest. And, and that doesn't mean you have to be around the person or anything like that. So sometimes the word forgiveness, we misunderstand what forgiveness means and make it even what? 
more difficult. Yes, Don. You know, I've been bothered with the one person okay. for years. And it's not that I didn't accept his apology at the time, but he continued to do the same thing um, apologize for it. Yep. So I just kind of like let it go. Yep. And I still uh, try not to associate. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with that. Because yep. one of the things I remember is, you know, how many times could we forget? Yep. Well, Jesus said 70 times 7. And he didn't mean carry around your calculator with you. (laughs) But there are nuances here. For example, doesn't mean you have to hang around with that person. That's not the point. Yeah. So this is tough. But it's right in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? See why we need God's grace and spirit? Okay. uh, Would you put a 6 out to the left of and lead us not into temptation? Now, this one is often confused, too. I, I realize that it, it looks like, well, God's going to lead us into uh, a temptation. But what we're really praying for is this. Dear Father, when I am tempted, when I am tempted, it's like what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, give me a way out that I either resist this temptation or find a way out. Because we know, for example, in several Bible passages, including in James, James says God tempts no one. Now, the... God will test us, but never tempt us. Well, what's the difference? The devil will tempt us to do the wrong thing. God will test us to do the right thing. But God will never lead us to sin. And so whenever we're tempted to sin, we're asking God, give me the strength and the power to resist this sin and temptation. Uh, For example, uh, as Jesus says, you know the passages, uh, pick up your cross, deny yourself in the midst of a temptation, and follow me. So that's what what he means there. Now, closely related, put a seven to the left of deliver us from evil. And do you see here again the words of grace, how dependent we are on God? That's what I want you to see here. How dependent we are? Because if, we, if God wasn't helping us, why? What's the implication? We'd be in deep trouble, wouldn't we? Deliver us from evil. Now, the one interesting thing I have to tell you on this one, the Greek phrase here, from evil, is used elsewhere. And there's no reason, as in other places, although I don't have them written down for you, that this could not be translated, deliver us from the evil one. Meaning who? Satan or the devil. There's no reason it couldn't be translated that way. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not being critical. You know, it's fine. Deliver us from evil because it's all kind of a package deal, isn't it? But it could be easily translated from the evil one, at which the same words are translated that way uh, elsewhere. So we want to be delivered from the power of Satan and the power of evil. Now, for thine is the kingdom. This is the conclusion. Now, let me say a few things on this uh, because you can read this in any good study Bible. Uh, From what we can tell, probably this conclusion was not spoken by Jesus. Uh, How do we know that? Well, in the New Testament, we have a lot of manuscripts. We have about 5,000 manuscripts for the New Testament. We have more manuscripts for the New Testament than any other human uh, document in the history of humanity. And so we can compare all these documents. And um, the earliest documents that are dated don't have this phrase. Well, where did it come from? The best uh, scholarly uh, guess is, based upon putting all these things together, probably for thine the kingdom, power, and the glory, came from 1 Chronicles 29.11. You can look it up on your own. 1 Chronicles 29.11. And probably came into the, into the uh, text as 
as as the uh, as the Lord's Prayer and the Scripture passages were used in worship in the liturgy. Okay. And you can read this. This is no secret. You can read this in any good Bible. This isn't some secret someplace. Any good Bible will tell you just what I told you. But it says, For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, based upon First Chronicles 29, 11, which is biblical. It is biblical. It says whether it came directly from Jesus or not, it's certainly biblical. And so we're saying basically at the end of the prayer, it's your kingdom. That's It's your kingdom. That's why we're praying. And you have the power. That's also why we're Uh, praying. And who gets all the glory? God does. Yeah, God gets all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, with the word amen, uh, it says our prayers heard. That's part of the conclusion. And um, this is where I get a little bit silly. You know how I get silly every once in a while. Sometimes we Christians are just too weak on our amen, especially us Lutherans. This is where, uh, you know, I get silly, as I told you. Uh, This is where we Lutherans could learn some lessons from Baptists and Pentecostals. They know how to say amen. Because the point is, amen comes from a Hebrew word, goes from Hebrew in the Old Testament, that comes from the uh, family of words for faith, for faith, belief. And then it goes from the Hebrew of the Old Testament, the same word, into the Greek of the New Testament, and then into the English or whatever language we're talking about. But the Hebrew word from where we back that all up comes from the word for faith. And that's why if you read any study on the word amen, it usually is translated or or explains something like the Hebrew word means it is so, or so be it, or it is certain, because it comes from that faith word. So at the end of uh, a prayer, uh, when you say amen, it's not a period. Okay, I'm done talking. <laughs> that's not what amen means, although that's the way sometimes we say it, myself included, unfortunately. Well, if I were to explain it, well, if it's not a period, what does amen mean at the end of the prayer? Amen. We've brought this to God, right? And amen being part of the Hebrew word for faith and belief and certainty, amen. And so that's the way we say it. Now, for those that do come to our worship service, you might notice in the printed liturgy, and everybody's going to look on Sunday. I'm sure that's going to be there Sunday. I've, I've embellished in the liturgy in our insert that's not in the book. And I've changed all the periods at the ends of the amens to exclamation points to remind everybody that's been through the adult information class that when you see that exclamation point, you're supposed to remember, Amen. And I can usually hear those people out there who have been through the information class. <laughs> now, I don't want you to make a show of it and you'll bring attention to yourself, but you get my point. We're supposed to say the amen as if it means that we've brought this to who? we brought it to God, who loves us more than anybody, who's the creator of the universe, has the power to help us if it's according to his will. Amen. So that's what that means. Okay, uh, my goodness, we have about five, six, seven minutes, and I'm, I'm all done. I've run out of words. So let's see if there's any loose ends that you want to do on prayer before we wrap it up for tonight. Anything about prayer that we didn't do or you want to hear again? Or You can always come up behind uh, afterwards, too. Please. Well, um, I don't know if this refers to the church or the Lord's Prayer when uh, you talked about how important it is the doctrine to hallow God's name, yes. the correct doctrine. 
And you said also sanctification, but the Bible also talks about unity and love. There is no unity in love without correct doctrine and sanctification. What kind of unity and love do you have without correct doctrine and sanctification? I can't conceive of any biblical concept without those two things. I'm just asking you. I yeah. Mean, yeah. Well, yeah. sometimes there's disagreement among Christians. Well, yeah, if, if truth is at stake, somebody's... You, yeah. If there's a difference, okay, both can be wrong. That's a possibility. And maybe that's true sometimes. I don't know. Right. You can have both wrong, but they both can't be right. right. Mm-hmm. That means we have a problem. Because right. somebody's right and somebody's wrong, or they're both wrong. Yeah. See what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, please. I, I believe that there's only two people in this world know whether I'm a Christian or not. Mm-hmm. And that's myself and Jesus. That's true. I agree. And I just take you at your word. Just like you take me at my word. Yeah. You're, no, you're absolutely right. And then that will show up on the day of the resurrection. Exa- I, agree. I agree. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>